Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Last week, we were in Romans uh, 11, which was super cool. Did someone, did you get something out of those three things that we talked about at the end? Remember, we talked about the remnant and how the remnant are those that their faith remains in Christ. Their faith remains in Jesus. And there's some incredible promises for the remnant. But the remnant are those people that we talked about three things that Paul addressed in Romans 11. The first of those is the remnant are those who continue to believe. When everything comes against and when everything says that there's no reason to believe, the remnant of God are those who continue to believe, continue to have faith. There are also those who continue to walk in humility, continue to live this life of understanding what the biblical definition of humility is, which is to have an accurate self-assessment of yourself to not think higher of yourself than you ought, but also not to think lower of yourself because both of those are a form of pride, but having humility. And the third thing was to continue to live in and live out the kindness of God. When we live in the kindness of God, it leads to a life of repentance where we continually come back to the Lord and say, Lord, Whenever my life has been messed up, whenever I've done something that's led me astray, whenever I've fallen short of the glory of God, I know that because of the cross and because of what Jesus did, that I can come back and I can repent and I can be forgiven and that there's forgiveness that's guaranteed and secured in there. And when I live in that, I experience the kindness of God that allows me to reach out and to share that same kindness with someone else. And so we talked about how we are the remnant of God. And as the remnant of God, these are things that will permeate our life. Today, what we're going to do is is jump into the next chapter in Romans 12. And what's cool about Romans 12 is that Paul is going to elaborate on these three things that he started on last week. And what he's going to do is he's going to give more definition to this to help us understand as the remnant of Christ, as those who remain with our faith in Christ, what does our life actually look like? So he's going to lay this out in some detail. The first part of Romans and verses one and two, I'm just going to start with the very first verse. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, well, anytime that we see this is basic hermeneutics that is seen here. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Everyone, like, that's kind of basic, right? There's a reason that it's there. And again, it's because Paul says, now, everything that I just said in the previous chapter, because of all that, I'm now going to speak some other things. And what does he say? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I compel you, I invite you, I challenge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Ellie talked about it with offering, but the idea of being holy is the idea of being set apart for something, set apart to something. And Paul's going to talk about the kind of life 
that God is inviting us into is one that is set apart. It's not the same as everything else we see in the world. It's not the same way of living that we see from every other corner of the globe, but it's set apart. Why? Because we are part of a kingdom and we are part of a people who are different, who are called out, who are set apart for a specific purpose and a plan to affect the world around us. But we actually have to understand what that means. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, we're the people of God, we're set apart. That's fantastic. Now what? So Paul's going to elaborate on what it means to be a living sacrifice. As I was processing through, uh, a cartoon uh, came to my mind, and I, I love this cartoon. I don't have the cartoon, but I'm going to read it here because it's, it's, very, it's very, very good. Uh, talking about being a sacrifice, and then I'm going to get into what a living sacrifice, what Paul's actually talking about here. But the, uh, the cartoon is the manger scene and all the animals gathered around the manger scene. So I'm cheating because it's not Christmas, but it's the nativity. Is everyone okay with that? It's not gonna mess anybody up. Like, you're not allowed to use Christmas. What are you talking about? You know, like, if there wasn't Christmas, we wouldn't be here. So anyway, it applies to all of us. Okay, the camel standing next to the nativity. I'm going to bear him gifts. Speaking of Jesus. The donkey says, I'm going to carry him. The, uh, the, the uh, whatever that animal is, the cow says, I'm going to quench his thirst. I know, it's hard. Yes. The cow says, I'm going to quench his thirst. The dove says, I'm going to christen his baptism. The chicken says, I'm going to feed him. The sheep says, I'm going to warm him. And the pig says, I'm going to let him fill me with demons, and then I'm going to go jump off a cliff. And then he goes, wait, what? <laughs> sacrifice, sacrifice around the manger. When we are talking about being a living sacrifice, that is not what it's talking about. But Paul does have some very specific things that he's going to say about being a living sacrifice. I want to give you just a very basic definition, and this is one that I put together just from what I see in this chapter and what I understand here, that helps us to understand what Paul is talking about being a living sacrifice. And it's this, a living sacrifice is using your entire being to serve and worship God based off of your view of the mercies of God. It's using everything that is inside of you to serve the Lord and to live for him as an act of worship. And by the way, this doesn't mean just being on the dream team at One Life on a Sunday morning. We serve the Lord with our entire life. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter what's taking place in your life. Every moment of every day, each one of us have the opportunity and the invitation to serve the Lord. It's actually fantastically amazing. As you look at the day and how many of these little moments that seemingly are these unimportant moments 
that God has orchestrated in front of us for us to be able to make a decision about how we're going to serve him and how we're going to worship him or not. It can be a convicting thing to sit at the end of your day and actually think back through every moment of the day and sit there and go, okay, so there was this moment. Did I take that opportunity to serve the Lord in that conversation? <sighs> Oof, maybe I didn't. When I was driving down the road and there was rush hour traffic and I was so mad that the person in front of me wasn't going the speed limit, did I serve the Lord? I'm just trying to be real because these are things I think about all the time. What are those things that we've done? Have we taken the opportunity for that to be able to serve the Lord with our lives? But the important thing about this very first verse of Romans 12 is this. Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Our eyes need to continually be focused on the mercies of God. It's when we remember what God has done in our lives and continues to do in our lives that it positions us to be able to bring everything we are, our entire being before the Lord in worship. But it takes some time and it takes some effort and it takes some discipline and it takes some opportunities in our life to actually be able to come back and to say, you know what? In the middle of everything, I'm gonna keep my eyes focused on the mercies of God. Because I have news for you, according to my Bible, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. The faithfulness of the Lord never goes away. That he is as faithful today as he was yesterday. And tomorrow he will be as faithful as he is today. And because of that, I can begin every day by fixing my eyes on the mercies and the faithfulness of my God. And when I do that, it removes shame, it removes condemnation, it removes any of the self self-talk that is negative in my mind about things that I've done or how I've lived or how I maybe haven't added up in some way, shape, or form, when I remember the mercies of God, it diffuses those things and allows me to come back and say, once again, I bring my life as a living sacrifice, my entire being to worship and to serve the Lord. This is what the mercies of the Lord allow us to do, but here's the deal is as we live life, there's a lot of things that we can get our attention focused on. There, there's a lot of things that can, that can get in our main frame vision and also in our peripheral vision. There's a lot of things that before we realize it, we've started focusing on every single one of them. And they've started to bring either distraction in our life, they've started to bring shame into our life, They've started to bring condemnation into our life because maybe we think we just need to live a perfect life and we need to do all this stuff to be right in the eyes of God. But when we get back to remembering his mercies that are new every day, it empowers us with a clean slate to worship the Lord with our lives. Now here's the thing about Paul, what Paul is saying here. He says, I urge you, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. And the idea behind this is it's not a have to. 
It's a get to. Think about that for a second. Your life as a living sacrifice unto the Lord is not a duty. It's a privilege. It's not something that it's like, great, you're a Christian. You better do all this stuff now. It's realizing the merciful, faithful, loving God that we serve that empowers us to serve him, to live for him out of a, out of a privilege. It's a heart-filled response of worship to the mercies of God. Paul's saying, listen, this isn't like an undue weight. That like, like, oh, you just need to make sure that you, you give your life as a living sacrifice or else. He's saying, no, remember our God. And when we remember our God, how could we do anything different with our lives but bring all we are to worship him? I, I, I think that there's, there's something powerful for us to remember in the fact that worship of God and worship to God can come in the smallest of things in our lives. It can come in our thoughts. It can come in our words. It can come in the small things that we do, the mundane things that we do. Parents, if you've got young kids, sometimes it can feel very monotonous with kids. It's day after day and trying to learn how am I doing this and feeling like maybe I'm not doing a good job as a parent and all this kind of stuff. But I want to tell you that as you even serve the Lord in loving your children, that it is a form and an act of worship where every small hug, every word, every encouragement that we give to our kids is a form of worship to the Lord. Let us never underestimate the little moments of our lives. We have big moments of worship. We come here on a Sunday morning with a band that leads us into worship and we have these big moments of worship in our lives. We also have these big moments where we actually make these big declarations of who we believe in and and how we live our lives. But it's also the subtle things. The worship of your life is in the intangible things as much as it's the tangible things. So Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen, I urge you with all of this in place to give your lives as a living sacrifice. All of this comes from a greater revelation of God. The the prayer is not, God, help me to live more for you. The prayer is, God, reveal yourself to me in a greater way where the only natural response of my life is to worship you. Because we can pray all day long. God, I just want to, I need to live more for you. But if we get a a day-to-day revelation of how amazing God is, it will absolutely shape our lives and how we live. And it will be a byproduct of what we believe and a byproduct of what is in our life. Not something you strive for, because otherwise then we've slid right back into works. I'm just serving God because that's what you're supposed to do. No, we serve him because we love him and because we're thankful for everything he's done. Does this make sense? Okay, so this is Paul. This is everything that he's saying here, okay? So I'm gonna go on kind of a progression of thought then as we go through here. 
This sacrificial life that Paul is talking about is wrapped up in belief, humility, and kindness, these things that we talked about last week. And I'm gonna tie these things together here because Paul was very, very clear to say what you believe, the humility of your life, the kindness of your life, how that is, are all tied into this sacrificial part of your life. And this is why. Because a sacrificial life, in a sacrificial life, what we believe and how we believe, belief actually sacrifices control. Think about this. If we truly believe in God and put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we release control that we are holding on to for the future of our destiny and we're putting that in him. So, the sacrificial life sacrifices control. How many of you like to be in control? Yeah. How many of you, every time I go over the clock, are like, it's out of my control? (laughs) Get over it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm in control. No, I'm just kidding. Belief. Okay, here's, here's the thing, is that belief, the root of belief and sacrificial life within belief depends on someone else other than ourselves. This is the root of it, okay? Humility within this, the sacrificial life. Humility sacrifices, oh, we don't like this one, image and the need to be right. If we're gonna live a sacrificial life And humility that comes out of that sacrificial life, I am less caring about my image and my need to be right, and I'm caring more about other people that I'm actually serving. That's a sacrificial life. True sacrificial humility lays down who I think I need to be. The motivation is completely different. Okay? And finally, kindness sacrifices fairness. I played around with a lot of different words and I landed on fairness and it might be just because I use the word fair all the time. I'll let you figure out why. Um, But kindness sacrifices uh, uh, fairness. If I actually live this life of kindness, living in the kindness of God and living out the kindness of God, it doesn't matter if I am being treated fairly or not. Meddling today a little bit. (laughs) The sacrificial life flips everything we see in our world upside down. And this is what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to use some verbiage here that's very, very important. Going on to the very second verse, just the second verse of Romans 12. So therefore, we've got all the living sacrifice stuff out of the way. We figure that out. We have that down pat. No reason to talk about it any further. (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, we could just end right there. But he says this. So don't be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. 
Paul uses two words in this passage that he's talking about what it looks like to live this life of a, of a living sacrifice, what this actually means. He's, he's gonna use two words because he's gonna pit them against themselves so we understand how the world functions, but then how we as the remnant, as believers, as those who put our faith in Jesus and follow Jesus, how we are supposed to live our lives, conformed and transformed. Now, Here's the thing that Paul is saying, that as followers of Jesus, as those who have said we're aligning our life with him, that our lives, we want them to be living sacrifices where we serve and we love him and we worship him with every part of our life. If that's truly our motivation, then we have to understand that the sacrificial life is not just a less conformed life to the world. Hear me on this. Paul is not challenging us to just not be as conformed to the world. The world thinks this way, just try to be a little bit better than the world. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, be, without you realizing it, you can really, really quickly become conformed to the world where you think the way the world thinks. You live the way the world lives. You do things the way the world does. He says, you have to be very, very careful. Don't be less conformed to the world. Now, now if we're gonna do this, if we're saying, okay, Paul's saying, I don't want you to be conformed to this world, so what does that mean? What does that mean? First John 2 gives us a definition of the world, okay? I'm gonna lay this out give you a couple things. First John 2, verse 15 says this, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, he lists three things here. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Three very, very specific things that he says are part of the world. Now, remember our challenge here that Paul's giving us. Not to be conformed to the world and the world's way of thinking, nor just be a little less conformed to the world and the world's way of thinking. So what is this? He lists three things. The first one is the lust of the flesh. What does this represent? Appetites. Things in our life that we just desire the things in us that, that please us, the things that we do that actually just bring us this false sense of joy and happiness in our life. If you, wanna, if you wanna identify what these appetites are in your life, I'd encourage you to ask a question. If I could only do one thing for the rest of my life, what would it be? That'll give you a really clear indication of where your appetites are. I'm not saying you're just going to do one thing for the rest of your life. But the first thing that pops in your head usually does a good job of shaping where your heart is. What's the appetite? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? What's your wish? What's your greatest wish? The thing that feeds that lust, feeds that thing, that flesh inside of us, these nasty little words that are there. What is it? There was a story of, and this is not a real story, so don't, don't, you know, don't think this is real. But there was a story about these three guys that were stranded on a desert island. 
and a, a, a bottle washed up on shore with a genie in it. So it's not real. Um, <laughs> but they rub the bottle and the genie comes out. And the genie says, well, there's three of you. I'm going to give each of you one wish. So what would you wish for? What would be the thing that you would want over everything else? One guy says, oh, Paris. I would love to go to Paris. Be off this island. Go to Paris. Snaps his finger. The guy standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. So amazing. Oh, my gosh. Second guy, where would you like? Hollywood, LA. Give me the beach, give me the sun, give me that whole lifestyle, great. Okay, snaps his finger, he's in Hollywood. Goes to the third guy, well, what, what, what's your desire? Like, what's the desire of your heart? What would you want? I, I just want my friends. Snaps his finger and there's the two friends. Well, they weren't friends for long after that. Uh, just if that's going to be the thing, just don't let that be the last wish. What is the thing? If you had one wish, if you had one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? That'll help you to understand where your appetites are at. The second thing, the lust of the eyes. Boy, this is just this word materialism. Never have enough. All the things that we can possibly have, the world just has so much of this to offer. The question becomes this. What do I never have enough of? Sleep. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's, it's definitely true. <laughs> Tori, Tori, Tori never has enough sleep. Tori needs more sleep, you know. Uh, I don't know how sleep is becoming a theme for you. I need to stop talking about sleep with you anyway. Um, but what is that one thing that you can never have enough of? That'll give you a really good idea of where the lust of the eyes is, okay? Just think about these things. And finally, the pride of life, ambition. Now, ambition is not bad, but read the rest of this definition. Ambition that puffs up and puts us on the throne of our lives. Anything that is self-promoting. Paul is saying, these things are the definition of the world. And he says, don't be conformed to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because here's the reality. Conformity in any way, shape, or form to the world is actually slavery to it. Even a little bit of conformity makes you the slave and makes the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the master. So, who's your master? Paul says, listen, on your own, you're gonna really quickly be conformed to this world. But, he says, there's hope. And this is where it goes to here. The sacrificial life is a transformed life. Completely different. I'm going to give you a Greek word because it makes me sound like I'm really intelligent. You guys can laugh at that. Is it, that's the only reason people use Greek words, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to pull out the Greek for you here. No. I'm going to give you a Greek word, and when I say this Greek word, you are going to know it, and there's going to be a word picture that immediately fills your mind. 
The Greek word for transformation that Paul uses is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get what? Metamorphosis. What's the picture that immediately goes into your mind? Caterpillar, butterfly. Completely different before and after the cocoon. Paul says, I'm not looking and I'm not challenging believers to be less conformed to the world, to look just a little bit different than the world. So when everybody puts you on pedestals, that you as believers are just a little bit better than the rest of everybody else that's around. Paul says, no, 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 that is not it at all. Don't just try a little harder to be a little bit better so that you don't just, so people can actually tell, well, maybe they're actually a believer in Jesus because they kind of do some good stuff all the time. He says, no, 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 no. You can't be unconformed to the world on your own. You need to be transformed, completely changed. Being a living sacrifice is going to require us to be completely different, completely different. The other place, there's, there's several other places where this, world, this word is used, but one of these is in Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus going on to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was there with Peter, James, and John, and they were there. And what happened? Jesus went on the mountain, and he was transfigured formed, transfigured before them. And what did that mean? It means he was completely changed in appearance and what came out of him was the radiance of the glory of God. Okay, for us as believers, the goal that Paul is talking about here is that we are transformed, completely changed, where what comes out of our life is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that we can actually be people that don't just look a little bit different, but look completely different because of the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of our lives. I love the idea that I can walk down the streets of of my neighborhood, I can walk in the city, and I can exude the glory of God that comes out of me. It's not that I'm so cool, it's not that I'm all that in a bag of chips, but it's the fact that God is working through me and coming outside of me. It's a transformation that I can't make up, but that only God can do in me. So when people come in contact with me, they go, there's something different about you, and it's not just that you had your Wheaties for breakfast. There's something way, way different. What is going on with your life? And you can say, it's not me. It's him, my transformed life. How does this work? How does this work? The transformed life comes, but it's not automatic. We have to do things and position ourselves in our lives to allow there to be a transformation that takes place inside of us. Not based off of what you do, but positioning yourself to be transformed. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the transformation in our lives. It's not you. You're not that cool. I mean, you are cool, but in that way. Clarify that. The Holy Spirit does the transformation in you. But the Holy Spirit uses specific things to bring a transformation to your life. He uses the word of God. 
Why? Because the word of God is the living and active voice of God into your life. See, what happens is as you hide the word of God, as you ingest the word of God into your life, the Holy Spirit will use that. And at different times, he will call on those things that you've ingested into your life to bring a transforming work inside of your life. So here's the thing. This is how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit breathes on the logos, the word of God, the written word of God. And the rhema word of God is the right now Holy Spirit word that is inside of you. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit comes and breathes on what you've already put in. So what have you put in that the Holy Spirit can blow on? This, this is why it's not just a Christian cliche thing to say, be in the word. No, I'm telling you, we have to ingest this into our lives, like big chunks of it into our lives. Why? So the Holy Spirit, when we're working through a situation where he wants to bring a transformation in our lives, that he goes, there's this scripture that you read, and I'm telling you guys, Three years ago, you were in some reading plan and you read some obscure scripture and you thought, this isn't going to ever do me any good, but I guess I'll read it because it's the Bible and it's hidden in our hearts. The Holy Spirit knows the times and the season, brings that to recollection in our lives, and it brings the transformation that's needed. See, see, it's a misnomer for us to believe that when we spend time in the word every day, that we have this like Holy Spirit revelation download in that moment. And there's like this emotional like, ha. Oh. Sometimes you'll be reading the word and you're like, well, that was, that was, that was good, but I don't really know what I'm going to do with that. Hide it in your heart. David talked about this all the time. Hide, I've hidden the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. Tuck that away. Get it into your spirit. And maybe two, three, four, ten years down the road, at the right time, the Holy Spirit will breathe on that scripture and quicken it into your life. And what happens if we don't put the word of God inside of us? Well, then the pizza we have last night can sound a whole lot like the voice of God. I'm not right. I'm not wrong. I'm not right. You think about it. You think about it. If the grounding factor in our lives is not the word of God to bring transformation inside of us, then it's whatever else we happen to be putting in that's going to do that. So if you watch Netflix until midnight before you go to bed, guess what's going inside of you? And then when the Holy Spirit comes and wants to bring a transformative work in your life, he goes, "Um, uh, uh, season three, episode two. No, can't use that. Um, Gonna um, switch shows. Okay, season one, episode four. No, that's not gonna work either. Uh, Hmm, wow, hmm, Okay. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit's limited in being able to work in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit works in tandem with the word of God. You want to see transformation take place in your life? Get the word in you. And allow the Holy Spirit 
to start bringing those things up. Prayer. Another tool for transformation is prayer. Why? Because when you really, truly start talking to God and realizing how amazing he is, it positions your heart in the right place with humility towards the creator of the universe. Prayer is not this ritualistic thing we do. It's a relationship. It's the communication of relationship that actually postures us in the right place and brings that transformation. And the final piece of these, and guys, these sound so cliche, and you probably know these all by heart, right? The word of God, prayer, and what's the final one? You know this. Worship. You guys are so good. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Here's why worship is so powerful, though. Because worship gets your eyes off of yourself. You want to see a transformative work in your life? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And let him do the transforming in your life. God, I just, I need this to take place in my life. Well, maybe you do, but maybe not. that's not the thing that you need right now. Maybe God has something else that he wants to work on in your life, and he'll get there, but if that's what we're focused on, we'll miss the thing that he wants to illuminate right now in our lives. Do we let him call the shots, and do we let the Holy Spirit guide and lead the transforming that takes place in our life, or do we call the shots? Which one of those? So Paul's saying, listen, You either can be conformed to this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be transformed to a completely different person. I don't know about you, I like the whole idea of transformation way better than less conformed. I have a bunch more notes then I am not going to do today. Because I think it's really important for us to land here. If our desire is to be transformed, there are some things that we need to do to, again, not do, but position ourselves to be able to receive. Would you be able to, in your life, identify some things in your life where maybe there's been a little bit of a conformity to the world and this way of thinking. Which, by the way, if you do, that's totally fine because I think that there's things in each of us because of flesh that like draw us back to that. My hope is that as you hear this, that there's a part that actually shifts in your thinking to say, you know what, I think I've been coming about this at a different way. I've been trying to figure out how to be the best version of myself so that I don't slide into those bad, evil, terrible things. Rather than saying, God, this has to be the work of your hand. It has to be the work of your hand. I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this out on my own. My own strength is not enough. But I know that in my weakness, I am strong because of your grace that's in me. So being able to actually understand, you know what? I want to transform life. How many of you are in for a transformed life? Come on. How many of you are in for a transformed life? Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to do a couple things here this morning. 
uh, I want to pray for that transformed life to take place in your life. But the transformation begins with the moment that you put your faith in Jesus and declare that he's your Lord and your God and you start to follow him with your life. It's the beginning of transformation. It's, if you like visual pictures like me, it's the stepping into the cocoon. Putting your faith in Jesus and positioning yourself to say, God, I've done my own life for long enough, on my own, in my own power, and I want you to transform my life. And he comes in and the promise is, he wipes away your sins. He wipes away the shame. He brings a healing to your life so that you can step forward in newness of him. If you're here and you have not ever had the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of your life, or maybe you did that a long time ago and, and you, know, you weren't ever able to, or have walked away and, and life has just been crazy and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord today, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. And I'd like you today that if that's you, to pray this with belief. What is belief? It's, it's the assurance that what you're praying actually has real effect in your life. That you're not just saying words, but it's really taking place in your life today. We're all going to pray this together, and then I'm going to pray to conclude. I'm going to pray over everybody. But let's do this today. Repeat after me, everyone repeating together. And if you're wanting to give your life to the Lord, pray this with belief in your heart today. Say this after me. Say, Jesus, I'm here today, and I recognize I've lived my own life. I've gone my own way, and I've carried the weight of my sin. And today, I ask you to come be the Lord of my life, to be my savior. I ask you to take my sins and to give me a brand new start. I thank you for the power of the cross. I thank you that you paid the price and you forgave every one of my sins. And today, I put my faith and my belief in you as my Lord and as my Savior. I love you, and I'm living for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we do this? Can we put our hands together for those that maybe prayed that prayer for the first time or rededicated their life?